is Daniel Hagedorn for Preparing Kids for Life at PK4L.com, and our podcast is for all things parenting. This is actually day 61 of our 365-day journey with you. My wife and I are so passionate about helping parents reclaim the rightful place as the number one expert on their own kids. So our podcast focuses on time-tested principles any parent can learn and apply to build an emotionally safe home and help their children thrive. So we talk about every parent's most basic fears because these have been our fears too. Things like, I don't have what it takes to be a good parent, or I'm not qualified, or I'm going to mess my kids up. You know, as parents, we will do anything to help our kids. And since our ceiling is our children's floor, we owe it to them to always be learning and growing. For 365 days, you've been invited into our experiment. We're committed to walking alongside your journey as your personal outfitters, guides, and allies. Every day, every step of the way. So this is our our third and final installment of our, our conversation about special needs. I mean, we'll be an ongoing one in general, but this particular uh, conversation will we'll finish here. And we've been talking, we're kind of right in the middle of talking about um, the primitive reflexes. And again, just by way of, of quick review, the primitive reflexes are basically survival reflexes. They are things that that are just instinctive to our survival, and we have them. And unfortunately, if they are retained after 24 months, then they can cause a lot of interference with our emotional, social, physical, and mental development. And you'll see a lot of these symptoms come out in retained primitive reflexes. There are 70 known primitive reflexes. The work of Dr. Robert Melillo focused on eight of them. And when I was a program director at Brain Balance, uh, that's, that was part of what I did is I tested for this. And so I ultimately developed a program that kind of helps empower parents to test their own children, see if these reflexes are present, and then if they are, um, show you how to do uh, these exercises that will we'll get that. I'll, I'll actually put a link to that at the end of, of this podcast. But the thing is, is that in this, in this process, uh, one of the larger themes that I've addressed is this idea that labels are, are not only ineffective, but they often lead to damage because as soon as we put a label on something, we immediately apply a set of expectations to it and we immediately apply a set of limitations as well. This obviously is going to have very damaging, um, just a very damaging impact on, on the child's development. It's much, much better, and this is where I think this is just very simple but genius on the part of Dr. Melillo, it's, very, it's much easier to just simply identify the symptoms, and then go down to the root of what's causing those symptoms, rather than apply some relatively meaningless label that honestly, neuroscientists, pediatricians, etc., can't even agree on. I, I, I can't even tell you how many papers I've read and how many symposiums I've been at and seminars I've attended and things like that, and watching panels of of, of these these individuals just talk about, and, and they can't even come to um, a, a consensus agreement about what these 
labels even mean and are. So in any case, <clears throat> it's much better to just really dig into uh, the symptoms and then address it from there. So that's where that's where we've been talking about. And we've been talking about how you can identify some of these symptoms in your child. And again, it's always better to actually have someone go through and test your child for them. Uh, this is something that you can look up uh, your local brain balance, uh, or if you happen to be in Austin, you can contact me. But the, the bottom line is, is that when these reflexes are retained and present, they are going to create symptoms. So I'm just sort of going through a general overview of the symptoms you might see if these reflexes are retained. So the next one we're going to talk about is the symmetrical tonic neck reflex, which we're just going to refer to as STNR because that's a really long word name. So this is, um, this is present from about six to nine months to nine to 11 months. It's sometimes known as the crawling reflex. It presents very briefly after birth and then reappears at six to nine months. And this is a reflex that helps the body divide at the midline to assist in crawling, right? The head is brought towards the chest, the arms bend, the legs extend, right? It's that crawling motion. However, if this reflex is retained after 11 months, symptoms can include things like the ability to crawl occurring later than normal. Uh, they might have poor hand-eye coordination. You might see poor muscle tone, especially uh, the spinal muscles. They will probably have a tendency to slump at a desk and exhibit poor posture. They might have kind of an ape-like walking pattern. Focusing requires a lot more effort, particularly on things that are close up. Their eyes will often fatigue sooner than normal when focusing on near than far objects. And of course, this is why copying from the whiteboard may be extremely slow and tedious, which actually causes them to miss large portions of classroom information. They will have poor organization and planning skills, the inability to sit still, and of course that also leads to poor concentration. These are just a few of the, re the symptoms that you might see if the STNR is retained. The Landau reflex, uh, this, is, this is actually a reflex that assists with postural development, but Technically, since it's not present at birth, it's not considered a primitive reflex, but it's, it's an essential one. But lack of stimulation in the prefrontal cortex um, causes attention, organization, and concentration problems. And it's activated when a, a baby lifts its head, and then that causes the entire trunk to, to flex. But if this reflex is retained after 12 months, these are some of the symptoms that you might see. Poor short-term memory, poor motor development, which of course leads to poor uh, low muscle tone and poor posture. They might have short-term memory difficulty. Tension in the back of the legs. They might be a toe walker, right? They sort of walk on their toes. Remember in the other podcast we were talking about, that's their attempt to try to feel themselves in space. They have a weak upper body, difficulty swimming the breaststroke, and also difficulty performing a, a somersault. The knees buckle when the head tucks under. The tonic labyrinthine reflex, which we'll call TLR, um, that's activated when a baby's placed on their back 
and then their head is tilted backwards. And so when that happens, this causes their legs to straighten and then stiffen, and then their toes point, their hands kind of become fisted, and their elbows bend. The TLR forms the foundation of the vestibular system, which is basically just your sense of balance and position and space. And it helps prepare the baby for rolling over, creeping, crawling, standing, and walking. However, if this reflex is retained after three and a half years, and this is sort of one that's a little bit out of the norm, most it's 24 months, but if it's retained after that point, symptoms can include kind of like a, a floppy child, right? They just sort of lounge and flop, almost like they're just sort of, you know, sprawling. They, they're very susceptible to motion sickness, and they have a difficult time judging space, distance, depth, and speed. This also leads to poor self-orientation and spatial difficulties, and so they have visual problems. They also have a tendency to walk on the toes and have poor balance. So this leads to difficulty coordinating movement, which of course is why their sports performance is below capability. They also have poor muscle tone, poor concentration, and they fatigue when they're reading or working or studying at a desk which is also why they, they tend to have poor posture when working over a desk. And so these are all things that, that you'll see in, in a child. And again, you'll probably notice from just even listening to uh, these, these reflexes that there are actually a number of, of symptoms that, that kind of tend to overlap. You know, for example, the Landau and the TLR, right? Both of them have a tendency to walk on their toes, for example. So this is where, and, and one thing is just a little bit of an interesting side note is that I noticed that when I would test children for the spinal gallant reflex, sometimes it wouldn't be present at all. Or if it was, maybe it was just a, a very low, like just a little bit. But then after we would go through the process of doing the exercises, what would happen is as those exercises caused the primitive reflexes to uh, inhibit, you would see the spinal gallant kind of pop out. And so actually it, it really kind of came out. It was almost like it was kind of hiding underneath some of the other ones. But in any case, when you can identify these, these symptoms, and the, the clearest way to do it is to be able to test and this is not a very complicated test. There's just very simple things. It would usually take me about 15, 20 minutes to, to complete the, the testing of, of primitive reflexes on the child. It's a very quick process. As long as they're able to understand instructions, they, they, they can do it. And you're just sort of walking them through a series of things to see if the reflex is present. And then if it is, then there are exercises they can do that, again, will activate that reflex and then eventually what will happen after that reflex has been activated enough times, it begins to suppress and then eventually it goes away altogether. And that is, I think, probably the most exciting thing. This is what's awesome about this process and why there's so much hope in it is that once you start to deal with the primitive reflexes, all of a sudden there aren't things getting in the way of your child being able to say, focus, right? How, how do you learn something if you can't focus? How do you read with comprehension if you can't focus? So if these reflexes are present, they're inhibiting, some of them are inhibiting our ability to focus, 
And if that's the case, well, no wonder our children aren't able to read or comprehend what they read, etc. You know what I'm saying? And that's what's so awesome is that just simply realizing this and seeing this gives us an opportunity to say, oh, wow, we, we need to do something about this. And that honestly is, I think, exciting news. It's great news because as, as I've said, it's kind of a, an ongoing theme throughout these last couple of podcasts. There is now more hope than ever before for children with special needs. Not, not just the primitive reflexes, but also just understanding neuroplasticity. And I think one of the, one of the blessings of this is that it's finally getting people to realize, you know, every child learns differently. It doesn't matter what what label that they could be a quote unquote honor student or they could be a quote unquote special needs student. It doesn't matter. Every child is special and every child needs to be educated differently. It we are we are long overdue for moving to a more personalized education system. And honestly, that, that's that makes a huge difference. Our education has to be personalized. I mean, either we take seriously the notion that we are uniquely created in God's image or we don't. But if we are uniquely created, then there are unique things that come with that. And we just need to acknowledge that. So again, I am, I'm really, it's been a great excitement. I don't know. I I don't even know how to say it. I'm just, it's, I'm just excited to be able to share this information because you know, one of the things that, that was so heartbreaking about my job is I would be sitting across the desk from a parent who had literally just exhausted all hope. They had spent thousands upon thousands of dollars and gone to specialist after specialist, and they had gone and done and spent so much to try to get help for their child. And all they wanted to know was, please tell me there's hope for our situation. Please tell me there's hope for us. And you know, it was the best feeling in the world to look at that, that, that parent and say, you know what? There absolutely is hope. There absolutely is hope. Again, I, I'm not a paid spokesman. I'm not, I don't have any type of compensation package with brain balance in any way, but I have the utmost regard for their work. If you do have a child that you think might Uh, have a developmental delay, I would encourage you to go and if nothing else, just at least get them, get them tested and see, because then you'll actually look at what you're really truly dealing with. Not, not the labels, but the actual symptoms. And you can start doing things to deal with those symptoms right away. I'll also include a link, like I said, at the end of this podcast to my book as well. I think it's just very helpful to, um, to kind of walk you through this process. But I just want to say thank you so much for listening. There are thousands, thousands upon thousands of podcasts out there. You chose to give us your time and listen to ours. We're really grateful for that. Check out our website, pk4l.com for more resources. And please click on the link in the show description to download your free ebook if you haven't done so already. Building an emotionally safe home as our gift to you. Remember, we're with you every day, every step of the way. Until tomorrow, have a great day. Thank you.